To go from several weeks aboard a submarine in the Pacific with the U.S. Navy to several weeks in the center of the Sahara Desert with the U.S. Army, as I did one time, was normal, given the scope of so many simultaneous operations. I did not ignore Iraq, but neither was I limited by it. My travels began in 2002. At first, I had observed counterinsurgency and unconventional war on several continents with Army Special Forces and Marines, experiences that formed the basis of an earlier book, Imperial Grunts. Back then, I had observed platoon-sized units in South America and Asian jungles and in Near Eastern deserts. Iraq found me briefly in the thick of urban combat, but for the most part, between 2002 and 2004, I observed the bread and butter of imperial maintenance on the ground, the training of indigenous troops, whom U.S. military trainers called indigs. Nobody liked the word imperial, but in terms of the challenges and the frustrations that so many junior officers and enlisted men of the American military faced worldwide, they were in an imperial-like situation, comparable to that of troops of other great powers in centuries past. My traveling companions mocked and complained, something that soldiers and Marines have done since time immemorial. It was unrelated to bad morale. Bad morale is only about losing the spirit to fight. They belonged to the combat arms community, a self-selecting elite within the military who fell into two categories, those who were or had been deployed to Afghanistan or Iraq and those who were doing what they could to get there. Rather than fanatics, they were like foreign correspondents whose nightmare was to be left behind at a bureau while a colleague got the nod to cover the latest war or overseas crisis. When you got to know the world of these infantrymen, got to know, say, the vast differences between an army major who was a general's aide at a big rear Burger King-type base and an army major who was the executive officer, the second-in-command, for an entire battalion at an advanced operating base, a real fighting base, that is, or got to know the differences between a Marine infantry sergeant who commanded 12 men within a platoon and a gunnery sergeant who was the exalted go-to guy, the iron grunt, in a company of 150 men, then from the point of view of any civilian in an age without conscription, you were inside a culture as mysterious as any encountered in the far-flung reaches of the globe. And as I would learn, the Navy and Air Force, owing to the unfamiliar worlds of seamanship and high technology, would turn out to be more exotic still. You couldn't begin to understand the U.S. military without focusing on non-commissioned officers, NCOs, or non-coms in service lingo that is, sergeants and corporals, or chief petty officers in the case of the Navy. It was they who were the repository of the military's culture and traditions, as many a West Pointer or Annapolis graduate would admit. The Prussian Baron Friedrich von Steuben, during the 1777-78 to 78 winter at Valley Forge, had laid the groundwork for this NCO Corps. Thus, he provided the bedrock for the American military, the radical decentralization of command, so that the general directive of every officer was broken down into practical steps by sergeants and corporals and petty officers at the farthest edges of the battlefield.
Officers gave orders. NCOs got things done. NCOs were emblematic of American social history. The ever-expanding frontier of Western settlement in North America was about doing, not imagining. Clearing land, building shelters, obtaining food supplies. NCOs were also a product of America's middle-class society. Observing Third World Armies, I had seen how the gulf between officers and enlisted men was like that between aristocrats and peasants. But such class distinctions did not exist in the United States to nearly the same degree. The consequence was an NCO corps that dealt confidently with its superiors, so lieutenants revered and depended upon their sergeants. This bond was at the core of a military that got the greatest possible traction out of sometimes the worst possible policies. The important